Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue in this series entitled Refocus, we will once more examine our own perspectives in light of God's will. Today's theme is on the subject of God's mission. And we will learn that our convictions on the church's responsibility to be on mission must be characterized by God's perspective and God's strategy. Well, thanks for joining with us as we address a commonly misunderstood passage in our efforts to conform our plans in accordance with God's will. When I was in middle school... Uh, it's always a little daunting, but over in Florence, uh, we didn't have a separate middle school. You would go over to the high school. And the first year, you know, you're kind of getting your feet wet, learning the ropes. Uh, but it wasn't too long that I discovered there was one particular class where I could get away with a little more shenanigans. Uh, that class was choir. So, so not all the kids went to choir, right? Only those that wanted to sing. And I feel really bad for Crystal Hogan. If any of you know her, you can say a little prayer and Thanksgiving for all the work that she does. But, um, <clears throat> but she was my music teacher in school. And in music class, you know, you didn't always have to pay attention. And it would start out with a little bit of talking to your neighbor. And, and when you'd get away with that, you'd find that you could get away with a little bit more. And pretty soon I found you didn't even have to come on time sometimes to class and you wouldn't get in trouble for that. And I remembered that all of this led to a pattern of behavior in my life uh, where I felt like I had a little bit more uh, clout than I actually had. And on the day of our um, recital that we had with all of the different grades, I had developed kind of this familiarity and this pattern of behavior that actually um, had me running very close to missing the recital. So all of the kids were making their way in, and of course I had gone comfortable with not being where I was supposed to be. And at the very last second, saw my class walking in and got in line just so I could walk in on those hot, bright lights as if... Everything was fine. No, nothing happened. And I made it onto the stage with a glaring look from my teacher coming across the risers. Just in time. I made it. You know, I think that as we think through uh, the story that each of us lives here on this side of eternity, if we're honest, you might recognize that it takes an attention and a care to follow after Christ with, um, with your whole heart. Because it's a little easy to develop a pattern of living apart from his will, just like I was living apart from the will of my teacher. And if we're not careful, our Christian life can look a little bit like that. You could get a little too lazy. You could get a little too comfortable. You could get a little too used to ignoring the responsibility that God expects from each of us. So in today's message, as we're seeking to refocus um, our uh, discernment of God's directing in our lives... Um, I want us to focus on the concept of mission, God's mission. And I'm hoping for us as we look into his word today that the spirit of God will remind us that there is an expectation that God has for you. There is not only a time element that's involved, but there's a behavior element that's involved. And we collectively as God's people need to give our attention to this because if we don't, you might end up being too comfortable thinking that the Christian life looks more like the American life. But it doesn't. Jesus Christ is returning. 
And there is a task that's left uncompleted that he expects who to participate in. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you. That's right. That's right. God expects you to be a participant in his mission. Um, We're going to deal with a verse that is in the book of 2 Peter. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. Um, And um, as we uh, give our attention to one verse, what we're going to find is that we need to understand that verse in the larger context of what Peter is communicating to the church. I want to begin, however, to direct you here to the summary of Jesus' mission and his promise. Jesus' mission is to seek and to save Those who are lost. You and I now, by coming in union and parallel with Christ, by being found in Christ, become partners with that mission to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, you don't save the way Jesus does, but you save by proclaiming the message of good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you don't get to God by good works. But instead, you get there by his love and grace and mercy. Now, there's another component that we have to pay attention to that's unique for this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. And that's Jesus's promise. Do you know that Jesus has made a promise? And even Peter is going to call the church to remember that which was spoken by the Lord. Jesus's promise is nothing short of this. It's his eventual return. The passage is found in John chapter 14. Jesus is with his disciples gathered in the upper room and he gives them uh, bad news saying that he's about to leave, but follows up with these words. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if that were not so, I would have would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me. So that you also may be where I am. Amen. Amen. That is the promise of Jesus. Now the disciples struggled with this. And we won't get all into the text of John 14. But they continue to ask, Lord, we don't know the way. And he says this one. You know this one, right? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Yeah. We know that following Jesus is the way to find reconciliation to the Father. But the promise that he gives to the church, first to his disciples and then to you, is that if he leaves... He will return. So we have these two factors to wrestle with. And this is what Peter is going to be wrestling with in the church. That the the promise of God, the promise of Jesus is his eventual return. But until that time, there is a mission to be accomplished. To seek and to save those who are lost. Look with me in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 9, Peter says these words. The Lord is not slow In keeping his promise. Now we already looked at the promise. What is it? His what? Say it together. His return. That's right. Jesus' promise is his return. Peter says he's not slow in keeping his promise. As some of you understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. Now there's a reason why we have to. Be careful with this passage. This passage, more than any other passage, has been used in the church to teach things that actually become contrary to the larger canon of God's revealed truth. In fact, if you would read this just on the surface, taking it out of its context, it says everyone will come to repentance. So you might end up with a teaching within the church that says everybody's going to be saved. Is that true? 
Is everybody on earth going to be saved? Well, th- this is a problem because it says that that's God's desire, right? God, God desires his wishes for all t- to be saved. He doesn't want any to perish. And so theologians and denominations have over the years tried to deal with this quandary of balancing the truth of God's election and his ability to call those whom he will. He will have mercy upon those he will have mercy and God's desire to not see any perish. How do you reconcile these? And in my study and preparation for this, I am not satisfied with many of the answers that have come to the church. Uh, One of them is uh, that God has multiple desires. So that God's desire to see everybody saved is not as strong as his desire to just call those who are the elect. I don't think I buy that. I don't think it's just that he has these competing desires as though God is somewhat schizophrenic. I don't know if you're on the same page with me on that. But no, I think that God is unified in his desires. One of the other responses to this is to say, well, when he says everyone, he doesn't actually mean everyone. He only means those who are in the church. Well, I see, I do, I see what you're trying to do there as well. You're trying to limit God so that he doesn't end up with a bifurcated desire. And I actually think there's a little hint of truth in this because all those who do come to repentance end up where? In the church. So, so there, there is a measure of truth to that. But I still don't think that's fully capturing the heart of God. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Now, we have to wrestle with this truth because we do believe that election is accurate and true. But we have to be careful that we don't end up with a God who has conflicting desires. Either God has decreed things that he doesn't desire, meaning he decrees the salvation of the elect but really doesn't want everybody, or he, des- he desires things that he hasn't decreed. I want everybody, but I haven't saved everybody. And I'm not too happy with this split in his will this morning. Uh, there, was a, there was a girl in college who we, we, were, we were friends with. We kind of had a, a group of friends uh, this this one particular girl, though, she loved to take whatever you said and just twist it up a little bit so it wasn't really true. I remember one time I said to her, you look nice today. And she said, I didn't look nice yesterday. <laughs> I said, that's not what I said. No, I mean, you look, you look fit in what you have. So uh, you're saying I'm, I looked ugly in what I had before. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. right? You're, you're taking my words and you're twisting them. And, and I want us to be careful because you can do that exact same thing with this text. You could end up saying, so, so everyone is saved, right? Doesn't God want everyone? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying everyone's saved. Oh, so you're saying that God's will isn't strong enough, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, so you're saying that God wants people to go to hell then? No. Do you, do you guys get the point, right? It's very easy to take a verse like this. And when it's lifted right out of the context that it's in, those are some of the mistakes that we run into. So just, just so we can get our bearings straight on election, I want us to make sure that we understand what God's word says. This is not Pastor Ryan's word. This comes from God's word. That it was before the foundations of the earth that he has called and that he has elected. And that that election is onto onto blamelessness and holiness. That is what he has saved you and called you to and for. But there is not a single one of us in here who knows who the elect are. You don't know who they are. Is your neighbor... One of the elect? Coworker, do you know? We don't know, but who does? 
God knows. And so what we are responsible for is sharing the message. And God is the one responsible to instill redemption and faith. To recreate those who are his such that they will freely respond. Because I want you to know this. There's not a single person who has been chosen by God that comes to him kicking and screaming. I don't want to go. I don't want to. God gives you the ability, being the primary mover, to allow you to respond by faith. For faith is a gift of God. We know this from Ephesians chapter 2. And there's not a single person who wants Jesus that God says, nope, nope, not going to let you in. Not going to let you in. What was the verse we heard this morning? Everyone who asks, receives. Everybody who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door is open. That's right. So if I could leave us here with the best way of knowing if you're of the elect, choose Jesus. That's how you know. I, I choose to give my life to Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? That means God chose you already before the foundations of time itself. That's how you can know. Um, and then if you don't want to, you're given the option of the gospel. Here's the good news, right? Sam and Kayla are there sharing that message. And if somebody says, eh, no, thank you. I don't want it. Guess what they are? Not a part of God's chosen. But God allows these two, your ability to respond by faith and his election to flow hand in hand. So with that as kind of a, a foundation for us, and I hope if you're still scratching your head on this, please come to Wednesday's Bible study. Let's talk about it more and, and really work through some of these passages. I, I really want to encourage you and invite you to work through this. But hopefully this becomes kind of a benchmark for us to understand that there is no conflict between the human response of faith and God's election before time, that God has designed these two to work in harmony with one another. So with that in mind, what I'd like us to do is get our bearings in chapter 3 so that we can best understand what's happening. And we're going to work through then an observation that I'm going to offer to us as a sentence. It's like a, it's like a long run-on sentence um, that deals with what's, what Peter is saying here to the church. So to get our bearings, let's start all the way back in the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Peter, chapter 3. Verse 1, Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed And the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of, the, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters. Speaking of them in these matters, he, his letters contain things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. When we see the passage of God's will, and in our, our, I want you to just as a reminder to know that our series on refocusing is, is as a church trying to understand what is God's will. So as we look at this verse in the middle of chapter 3 that tells us of God's will that no one perish, but everyone be saved. I want to submit to you that that is not a condition upon his necessarily desirous will, but rather this is Peter explaining why he is patient. Do you know that God is patient with you? He is slow to anger. He is steadfast in his love. As you heard Kayla uh, teach our children this morning, he embodies the characteristic that we need to carry, which is a faithfulness to his word. God is not declaring his son to return on that day of destruction. Do you know why? Why? Why is he being patient with you? Why is God from the worldly perspective looking slow? Well, it's because he knows there are still some more who belong to him. He doesn't want to see anyone perish, but he wants to see them all come to repentance. Do you know what the angels do every time someone repents? They, they got like a party going on up there, right? We need to have more angel parties that we're a part of. The repentance of one sinner is beautiful in the eyes of God. And this is the task for which Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And right now his return is delayed. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been like this, but there's been moments, especially when I watch the news, when I'm like, oh Lord, would you just get this over with? Like, anybody else with me? You just feel like this has gone on long enough. And then I am reminded, you know what? I think there was a time in my life when I was out of fellowship with God and still under his wrath in my sin. What if he returned then? What if that meant for me? 
That would have been bad, right? So you know what? God was patient. He was patient with me. He gave me time to come in. And what that teaches me is the fact that Jesus hasn't returned yet. Do you know what that teaches me? There are still who? There are still more who will believe. This is why we're missionaries. This is the entire reason why we go. Because we have refocused our understanding to see there is a time limit on the task of missions. And before Jesus returns, we need to send the invitation to as many who belong to him as possible. So a few, few observations that I want to make with this to help us understand this passage in context of what Peter is saying. The first is this. The mission of God is presently characterized by his patience. The mission of God is presently characterized by patience. Let me ask you the question. Was that true in Peter's day? Yeah. yeah. He, they, they, there were scoffers. Did you catch that? You, you, you have false teaching at the beginning of what he says and at the end. Scoffers who come be like, Where, you've been saying he's coming back, man. Uh, when is he coming? Like, we're waiting. I really don't think this is true. This is all rigmarole you're telling me of his return. Yeah, that's a bunch of... Mm-mm, he's not coming. Scoffers. Time out, Peter says. You think God's slow? <laughs> you think he's slow? Who wants to race God this morning? See, see if he's slow. God's not slow. That's not what's going on. He's patient with you. That was true in Peter's day. And guess, who, guess when that's true as well? That's true right now. Um, there's this great passage in Romans 9 where Paul is trying to uh, explain the glory of God through his patience. He says this to the church. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? Prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known? To the object of his mercy, whom he has prepared in advance for glory. Even us, whom he has also called. Not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Here's what he means here. You and I get a picture of God's glory when we understand his patience. God is being patient with you right now. Um, There is a... there's There's kind of... Who needs to work on patience? Be honest in church now, right? So I, you know, we've got dinner set and the kids are not coming in. And Emily says, time, time for dinner. And, and the kids come right away immediately. Is that what happens? Is that what happens in your house? No. Uh, yeah, time for dinner. And you know what? We're ready and we're ready to eat. And so Emily and I, we just start eating. No, that's not what we do. That's not what we do. We are what? We are patient. Why? Because we love our kids. Right? We, we, we are willing to wait because it's love that motivates us to, to wait. Now, the more times that we have to call for them, the less love you're able to discern. But it's still there. Yeah. The, the mission of God is presently characterized because he is patient with you and I right now. Number two is this. The mission of God is presently characterized by his patience for all of his people to repent. This is critical for us. The reason is because it is God's patience that moves us to repentance. Can I say that again? It is God's patience that moves you to repent. I I remember not coming for dinner right away as well. But there's something that goes on in your heart when you know there are people waiting for you. If, If you knew that someone was waiting for you, 
What would you do? Yeah, would you? I want to finish the show first. No, you know, no, they're waiting. They're there. They've called and they're waiting for you. So what does that motivate in you? Yeah, I, I, I better go. I need to hurry it up because I know that they're waiting for me. This, this is for God's people the same thing that should be happening in our heart because we know that God is presently being patient. And he's patient. You, you know that your sins are forgiven, right? You know that you are in Christ. But you hopefully also know that there are moments in your life where you're not walking in obedience. And, and God is removing from you the rewards that would come from your obedience. But does he bring judgment right now? Or is he still patient with you? You see, it is God's patience that moves us to repentance. In fact, I want, to see, I want you to see this from God's word. Romans chapter 2. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Do you see it? It's, it's literally the patience of God that motivates you to get right with God. That's the motivating factor. In fact, it shows up a little bit further. Look with me in the text of 2 Peter. I have it here on the screen as well. Verse 15 says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means what? What's it say? Salvation. His patience means salvation. And then he continues on there. I, I do want you to understand, though, that the second part of the sentence is that God's mission being characterized by his patience right now is intended to draw his people to repentance. Thirdly, the mission of God is presently characterized by his patience for all people to repent and live with holiness and godliness. I would like to draw your attention back into the text. Uh, you have in the mind of Peter, and he's writing from a Jewish perspective, um, it's called a chiastic structure. So he begins to build a case that points to, to the middle. And so on either end of chapter three, you have false teachers. Right? You have scoffers, and then at the end you have people who distort God's word. Remember that? And then as you, as you move closer, you have the destruction of the worlds. The first one is the destruction of Noah's world. Do you remember that? He said that the, the heavens that were and the earth that was, was made by water and out of water, and those same waters destroyed it. And then he says over on this side, as he's concluding, he says, this heaven and earth are being reserved right now for destruction. So you have false teachers, and then you have two destructions, and then right in the middle, you have his purpose of his patience, which is I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want anyone to perish. I want all to come to repentance. And he gives us then the strategy on how to, how to live that way. Look with me in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? Here's God's strategy. You ought to live holy and godly lives. It is by God's design that your life is a witness of his patience. Now, if you're, if you're living like the world, if you smell like the world and taste like the world, there's no difference. They're not going to see any difference in you. But if you live as one characterized by a different citizenship, that is literally God's strategy for how he wants to draw others to himself. I want to show you this in a few passages. The first here from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Therefore, you don't, have a, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He 
will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be, that's another, another way of framing holiness and godliness, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just show you one other place in the text here. Go with me to verse 14. He says, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, isn't that what this says? Eagerly wait. Come on, you know what it's like. Hunting season coming up, right? Ooh, you can't wait, right? That's your attitude to the return of Jesus. As you wait, you're preparing, how does it say? Make every effort, back, back in verse 14, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So the third observation that we have here on the mission of God, currently characterized by patience, so as people will all repent, is that you will also live your life in holiness and in godliness. And the last one is to the praise of his honor and his glory. Look with me at the very last verse in chapter 3. Uh, but growing, growing grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this, this is it right here. This is one really long run-on sentence that characterizes for us the message that Peter is giving to you, the church. Jesus has a mission. What was it? To seek and to save the lost, right? And Jesus has a promise. I'm going to return. And as those two work together, how should we live now? Well, if we're going to collectively as God people work to understand conclusions for this in our life, you have to know his mission is characterized by patience for all people to repent so that you live holy, godly lives to his praise and glory. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that's the message. Here's what I'd like to offer you as conclusions in light of this. So as we seek to refocus on God's mission according to his will, this means for us that there's still time for repentance. Is that good news to you today? There is still time for repentance. So wherever you are at, worshiping God today, coming here, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not, I got really good news. There's still time. You won't be... You won't be found out in the hallway fooling around when you were supposed to be up on the risers for the concert. Let me encourage you, don't fool around. Don't take God's patience lightly. He is not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. A great passage from the book of Hebrews, the writer says, uh, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today. Church, there is still time. Secondly, God's patience encourages our patience. Now, you may not like that one today. <laughs> uh, God has called you to be patient with others. Uh, you know, er early on when we had our men's prayer breakfast, we go around and we say, hey, how can we pray for you? Every single, every single guy in our church, pray for patience for me, man. Pastor, you just got to know. Uh, do you know where that is modeled for you? God has modeled that for you. Uh, a couple passages to help you see this. This out of 1 Timothy. This is Paul giving the story of his conversion. Paul says, But for that very reason, I, Paul, was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might, be displayed, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. God was patient with Paul. You guys know the story of Paul's conversion? Paul wasn't coming to church. He was killing the church. And God had mercy on him. Now, let me ask you this. If God can have patience on Paul, can you have patience with your spouse and your kids and your neighbor? Right? 
Um, another great passage in Ephesians. Uh, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Ah, there it is again. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. But pastor, that person drives me crazy. I just, uh, you don't understand. Yeah, God understands. Nobody understands better than God. This is why we need to understand that God's patience encourages, it informs, it requires our patience. Thirdly, refocusing on God's mission according to his uh, will, it means for us that we go to who? That's right. When it comes to his mission, we go to everyone because God doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Do you know who those people are? Nope. So do you know what we do? We go to everybody. We go to everybody. We leave the outcome. We leave the results up to God for his wisdom knows better than us. But when it comes to sharing the message, we go to everybody. I want to share this passage with you out of Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, missionaries, traveling into the Gentile lands, here talking with the Jews first. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all those who were appointed for eternal life believed. This is a really interesting phrase, is it not? All those who were appointed to eternal life. What, what did they do? Well they, well, they did what they were appointed to do, which was they expressed faith in Jesus Christ and they believed. Now, do you know who they are? Do you, did even Paul and Barnabas know who they No, they didn't. They were going to the Jews and now they're going to everybody else because they believe God has chosen those who will believe. It's our job not to know who they are. It's our job to go to everybody. Number four, refocusing on the mission of God according to his will teaches us that we are witnesses of God's kingdom by our behavior. We are witnesses of God's kingdom by our behavior. We already covered this in depth, right? That he wants you to live a holy and a godly life. That's his strategy for changing people's hearts and minds. A couple places where we see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he writes to the church in Corinth, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation from you? To you or from you? Look at this. You yourselves are our letter. When, when people look at you, I don't need to write a letter to them. Your life on display is a text for them to read. He said, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. He says something very similar to the Thessalonian church. He says, you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't have to say anything. How great is that? Literally, your behavior speaks louder than your words. Do you know that's true? People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Have you heard that before? People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. So your behavior, how you love your neighbor... How you characterize your life as holy and following God, that speaks louder. Um, one last passage I want to really highlight for you because it says something very similar. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, he says, I urge you, first of all, 
then that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Same thing Peter told us, right? What does God want? He wants all people. And what's his strategy for that? We live how? Live a holy and a godly life. And that comes right in line with his desire to see all people saved. Are you guys catching this? Do you get it? If you refocus the mission according to God's will, you will understand that we are witnesses by our behavior. Give me an amen if you're with me and I can move on. You with me on that? Okay. Number five. There is a day of judgment coming when the king will be displayed in glory. This is what motivated me to be a missionary. I was on a hilltop in Mexico and the missionaries that we were serving with just for one week said that as we looked out over a city of millions of people on a hilltop, Mexico City, he said, 90% of these people that you see are going to a Christless eternity right now. And there is coming a day when this task will be over and the opportunity will be ended. This is Jesus' words in Revelation 3.3. He says, Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold fast to it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. He says that here as well. Did you guys catch it in our text? Someone help me out. I can't find it. I know it's in our text. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. There it is, like a thief. He also says this at the end of chapter 3. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. Are they with me? Do you remember Dawn? Do you remember what she read? Everybody who asks, receives. Everybody who seeks, finds. Everybody who knocks, the door is what? Open to them. But I want to give you one more. Thank you for your patience, by the way, in listening to this message. If, if you could, just turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Because the warning here on our fifth observation is that there is coming a day of judgment. Church, hear me loud and clear. There is coming a day of judgment. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. Luke 13, starting in verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages. Just like a missionary does, right? I'm going through the towns. Teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord... Are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and Segola and the south And they will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there will be those who are last who will be first. First who will be last. You you need to understand this as a motivating factor. There is coming a day of judgment. 
And as much as the promise is available that all who knock, the door will be opened. Jesus tells us here that there's a day when the master gets up and he shuts the door and the knocking won't matter. So you have time now. You have time now. Amen, church? So here's what we do with this. This is really, this is going to blow your mind here. First thing, ready? Let's say it together, ready? Repent. Repent. The Greek word here is metanoia. It means change your mind. Switch your thinking. Change direction. Like I've I've been walking for my own glory and satisfaction. Jesus is fine, but I haven't given him my whole life. I give him a couple bucks on Sunday though, but you're going to be left outside. He wants all of you. It's a, it is more than a fair trade. You are definitely getting the good end of the spectrum. How do you get there? You repent. You say, my sin is sin. I repent from it and I turn. And then as a Christian, now someone in Christ, you will continue to do that same thing because sin cannot dwell in the heart of a Christian. And so this is where we land for this morning. But there's two others I'd like to offer to you. And if you look with me back in the text, in verse 17, he says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard. So that's my second application for you this morning. If you are a Christian, be on your guard against false teaching, against the scoffers. Um, I, it's a little bit the children's message again, right? That they're gonna, you're going to be discouraged to, towards unfaithfulness. But like little King David, believe what God said. Believe it and don't let it go. And be on your guard against false teaching. How do you do that? Two ways. You do that by growing in grace and be on guard by growing in knowledge. Again, look with me in the text, verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just give me two minutes to explain how you can do that. If repent is something that you've checked the box of and you say, Pastor, I'm with you on that. I continually, I'm with you to repent. Then how do you move forward as a Christian? Number one, you you grow in grace. Growing in grace means you give God credit. That's what grace is. I'm so thankful the name of our church is grace. So don't, don't believe the lie that it's anything you do or that you have any merit or any goodness in, in you. Remember the Apostle Paul? He says, I'm the chief sinner. Who here is better than Paul? None of us. And if Paul knows that it's by God's grace only, you and I need to know that. How do we grow in that? We grow in that by reminding ourselves it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus and not me. The more you tell yourself that, the less you will fight and wrangle for perfection in your own life to earn God's love. Come on, you guys know what that's like in the workplace, right? If you're going to get a promotion, you better better knuckle down and work hard. And we take that same false thinking. So be on your guard against that thinking. Because you find merit before God, not because of a single thing you've done, but because of Jesus. So the more that you resonate in that, the more that you sit in that, the more you will grow, and therefore the more you will be on your guard. And then the second is to grow in knowledge. And I simply want to direct your attention to Peter's words here. He says in the beginning in verse 2, he says, I want you to recall the words that have come to you from God. He says that in verse 5, they deliberately forget that it was by God's word that the heavens and the earth were created. He says a little bit later in verse 7, by that same word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved. And then he says in verse 17, speaking of Paul's writing, that people who are unstable, they distort the scriptures. So again, God's word shows up. Can I just give you the encouragement? Read God's word. 
be invested to feast off of the bread that comes from his word. Don't let your Bible gather dust. We got Bible study Wednesday morning. I hope to see you all there. Meet meet the whole church. Take off work if you have to. 8 a.m. Someone will bring donuts. It'll be great. But if you're not reading God's word with the rest of us on Wednesday morning, I trust that you're reading it on your own. Because you will fall prey to false thinking and scoffers if you're not growing in knowledge. So number one, God is patient with you. There's still time. Let's repent together. Number two, be on your guard by growing in grace because he's patient with us and he's good. And then since he's good, let's soak up all the knowledge we can so that we can partner with him on his mission and look forward to his return. Amen.